Now hear the reading of God's word. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? I am thankful that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptized into my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. <laughs> for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So ends the reading of God's word, and you may be seated, please. You know, I, I'm so glad that Mary is doing the scripture reading. I won't pronounce any of those names. Well, maybe a couple of them in the message. The other thing that uh, I just appreciate is how, how appropriate it is that we come to this passage in 1 Corinthians with all that's going on in the church and in the denomination and, and just in the world today. How, how interesting, and, and you got to look at that and say, God, okay, you really are a part of this, and thank you for direction when we need direction. We're going to look here into 1 Corinthians and see some important things for us today, and, and we talked about the church at Corinth um, last week. We talked about the division that was going on there. We talked about the problems that uh, were taking place. Today, we're going to look a little bit more, and, and we're going to get some insight we're going to get some direction. And so I'm going to have them put back on the screen the passage there because I want you to notice some things to begin with. And as they're finding that, by the way, be praying for us as we go to Israel. There'll be 35 of us and uh, we'll be gone anywhere from 10 to 12 days depending on extensions and so on. So uh, keep us in your prayers if you would. So let's go ahead and, and look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And beginning with verse 10. Notice what is happening here. For Paul is writing, I appeal to you. And in a sense, what he's saying is, I beg you. You know, this is important. Please listen to me. I know what's going on. So I appeal or I beg you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice here that he does not say, I, Paul, beg you in my name that you will do what needs to be done. It's very important that we see where the authority is in this passage. The authority is not Paul. The authority is Jesus Christ. So I appeal to you, I beg you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and notice now there are three that's there, T-H-A-T. What is he appealing? What is he begging them? That all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions. Is that important in a church? Is it important that there be unity in a church? But you say to me, well, pastor, how can you have unity in the church when you have all these different kinds of people? That's a good point. 
Have you ever tried to get lots of people in agreement on one thing? Have you who are married had to try to get you and your spouse in agreement on one thing? You see, that's not an easy proposition. And yet we are called here by Paul, just as he's calling the people in Corinth, that we agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you. Find here that agreement is not everybody on the same page because you believe the same thing. Agreement here is because you are seeking God's desire, and if the church is in Christ, if the church is following step by step with Jesus, then we will be in agreement. What do I mean by that? A couple of years ago, we were dealing with the same issue that we're dealing with today, and the session came together, and, and the issue before them, they voted on it, and they were divided, six and six. In fact, one pastor was on one side and one pastor was on the other side. How interesting. A church that is seeking to be obedient to Christ, coming out on an important decision and finding that it's six to six and one to one. So what did the session do? The session got together and said, you know, obviously we are not hearing God's word here, so we need to pray. And that's what the session did. For that month, they prayed, and they came back together, and they said, okay, here is the same issue. Here is the thing that we need to decide. We want to seek Christ in this. And they voted again, and it was 12-0 and 2-0 all on the same side. Talk about a miracle. <laughs> Fourteen people agreed. Maybe not in how they felt. But they agreed that God's desire for us as a church at that time was the direction that we went then. That all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you. And, here's another that, that you may be perfectly united in mind and in thought. Paul is begging us. He is appealing to us. He's begging the Corinthians. He's appealing to the Corinthians that there may be no divisions He's praying and begging that they may be perfectly united in mind and thought. There is power in unity. There's even more power if the unity is based in Scripture. And, and get that point. Unity is no good if it's not based in Scripture. I mean, we can be unified together, but if it's not what God wants, it doesn't matter. We need to be unified in Scripture. All right, let's look at verse 11. My brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me, oh, I love this, that there are quarrels among you. You know, what a beautiful church this is. There really are not quarrels among you, or at least you don't tell me of them if there are. You know, this church is very united, very unified on so much because I truly believe that we, as a church, seek God first in what we do and what we believe. Well, in the Corinthian church, he's hearing, you know, from Chloe's household that there were quarrels, not big divisions, not big battles, not fisticuffs, but there are just some quarrels among them. Let's look at verse 12. What I mean is this. <laughs> oh, church people are wonderful. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. One of you says, I follow Apollos. 
One of you says, I follow Cephas. And still another says, I follow Christ. I love it. Don't you love that? You know, we could do that in this church. You know, tell you what, let's have this section. You be followers of Steve, okay? You're the best sides. Let's see. This first row, you be the follower of Mary, okay? No, no, no. This side, this, <laughs> this side be the follower of Mary. And, and, oh, this side be the follower of Scott, okay? And then when I say, cheer who you're a follower of, no, no, we're not doing that. But think about what a church would be like if that was the situation. Wouldn't that be terrible to come on a Sunday morning? And all the Steve followers are over here. Say, yeah! And all the Mary followers here and all the Scott followers here and we don't get together and we can't pray together and we don't want to seek God because we already know what we want to know. That would be terrible. Thank goodness that we come. There's not ego involved in the staff in your leadership here. Thank goodness as we come, we are followers of Christ. Not a person, because what happens when we follow a person? We're disappointed. Because people are human, and humans are not perfect. But we seek in what we do as pastors of the church, as hopefully members of this church, to seek what God wants, to understand what his desire is. So as we look at this whole idea, and, and by the way, there's all kinds of things going on. You know, we talked about denominational things, and I don't want to talk about that much. I, I just as soon run away from that and just pastor, just preach Christ, just enjoy the fellowship of one another, evangelize and help the needy and the poor and feed the hungry and, and do these things that Scripture talks us about us to do. But I can't do that. We have to deal with situations. But there's other things going on in the church too that, that we're going to have to deal with. And so we have to understand that, that it is not this follower, this follower, this follower. It is Christ that we follow. And so as we look at this idea of a Corinthian church or a Sumner church or a world church, that we have to understand what do we focus on? What do we focus on? What do we focus on? Let me suggest three things. And I think we see this in this passage. And the first is that we must focus on the Messiah. Well, yeah. You know, there's one of those questions, you know, what do we focus on? And the answer always is Jesus or God. Mm -hmm. Can't go wrong with that. So we focus on Jesus, we focus on God, we focus on the Messiah. You can say, if you want, I'm a follower of Jesus. And you can say, I'm a follower of God. And you can say, I'm a follower of the Messiah. Great, praise God. You know, we're all right with that. So Paul comes here, and instead of asserting his own authority, he says, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It wasn't Paul's authority. It was the authority of the word Jesus. Of God. Always, always, we come back to the authority of the Word of God. You go any other direction, sorry, it's a dead end. 
You've got to look at the Word of God, and you've got to follow that. And by the way, there are going to be people who are going to try to change the Word of God. By the way, there are going to be churches that try to change the Word of God. By the way, there are going to be denominations that try to change the Word of God. We need to look at God's Word and let that be our authority. Because times change, don't they? And as time changes, guess what people tend to do? We change. And if we aren't careful, as times change and as we change, we begin to drift to all kinds of different places. Have you ever looked at something and just seen how, as you are in the influence of something, how you become more and more like those who you're in the influence of? Have you had children? Have they gone to school? Are they teenagers? Have they been teenagers? You know, you parents, you know, you spend all these years trying to raise them upright, train them right, get them going in the right direction, give them the right things to think about and to be, and you get them off to school, and all of a sudden they start making friends. Let me change that. They start making friends. And all of a sudden you see personalities change and you see children change because maybe their friends aren't the best people around. You know, we have to be careful as Christians that we don't let the world move us to a point where no longer we are a friend of Christ. No longer where we seek him and where he is our authority. See, in Paul, what he's doing here, and look at verse 12. Thank you for putting that up. You didn't even know I was going there. Good job. He says, what I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Huh. What would have been nice is, I follow the word of God. Another says, I follow Apollos. Would have been nice if it said, I follow the word of God. Another, I follow Cephas. Another, I follow Christ. You know, we need to find that thing that is constant. That thing does not change. That thing that is true. And then hold firm on that. By the way, if you follow a pastor, they're going to lead you astray. I hate saying that. If you follow any person, they are going to lead you astray. Even best-intentioned people are going to do that. So over and over and over again, we need to come to the point where we follow Christ, where we follow God's Word. And then he deals with three questions in verse 13. Look at these questions. Is Christ divided? You know, that's almost a rhetorical question, isn't it? You don't have to answer that question. You already know. Well, maybe you already know. Maybe you don't. Is Christ divided? No. Christ is not divided. I mean, if anybody is not divided, it would be Jesus, because Jesus is God, and God is the same. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's not divided into groups. 
You cannot say, and, and do you hear churches say this? We're the real church. We're the New Testament church. We do it just as they did back then. Ever hear them say that? And then the church across the street says, we're the real church. Of course, we don't do it like that church does. They're not the real church. We really are the real church. And they do it just how they do Christ is not divided. Hmm. So the answer is no. Was Paul crucified for you? <laughs> Can't you see Paul saying that? Was I crucified for you? Heck no! Paul didn't give up anything. Well, he did. I mean, he was a wonderful, great apostle. And he gave up his life, but Jesus is the one who gave up his life for you and me, for the Corinthians, for everybody. Was Paul crucified for you? Well, no, we'll quit following Paul then. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I baptize you in my name. Oh, my goodness. No. Three questions. Three answers. All come down to no. Where must our focus be? The name of Jesus. God's word. But what happens when we lose sight of Jesus? What happens when we lose sight of the Savior. Well, a, a number of things can happen. One is that we can get our eyes on other people. And we've talked about that. If we take our eyes up, off Christ and look to somebody else, then there's a problem. Have you ever asked a person what church they go to? And they said, I go to Casey Treat's church. Oh, my. Oh. And Casey Treat probably has a wonderful church. But if the people are finding themselves going to Casey Treat's church, that's a problem. Or, or they might say, I go to Ray Armstrong's church. And I know Ray, and he's a wonderful person, but he is not God. And if people get in the habit of saying it's his church, then there's a problem. And of course, I all know when they ask you, you say, oh, I go to Steve Starr's church. <laughs> and the people look at you and go, huh? <laughs> Who's he? You know, anytime our focus is on a person, there is a problem. But sometimes we get our eyes onto other problems. You see, the people in Corinth began to focus on the problems that they had with each other. The issue became the main issue. You know, their division was a problem there in Corinth. And they took their sides. And anytime we begin to do that, we get off the true meaning of what we should be doing as believers in Christ. You know, we can get caught up in things we can get caught up in issues, but if we do that, we've lost. We truly have lost, because the issue is not the issue. The issue is Christ. Let's see, we can get caught up with other people. We can get caught up onto other problems. We can get caught up onto other priorities. You see, the Corinthians began to get caught up 
on their desires. Me, 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 what do I want? And their appetites began to be more carnal. They began to think, what's going to please me? Do you know a world that feels that way? What's going to please me? What can I do to make me feel better? You see, when we begin to do that, then we are the center of attention. When we begin to do that, we then become our God. And whenever we start doing things for ourselves, there's a major, major problem. Paul writes to these people in Corinth because there's a major problem. They're caught up in themselves. They're caught up in their own desires. You know, Scripture tells us that we are to lay aside every weight. It tells us that we are to run the race. Have you noticed over at the high school this weekend, they were having all of the track things going on over there? And as I drove by and I would see some of the races going, you know, I saw nobody in parkas. I saw nobody in snow boots. You know, they stripped down to just little flimsy outfits and so they can run and run and run. You know, I saw them, and this is right near the street, you, you saw the, the people with the pole vault. They didn't wear big boots on the pole vault. They have these real light shoes so they can do better what they're trying to do. Now, as we seek God as a church and as individuals, as we seek God as a denomination, as the people in Christ seek God, we need to clothe ourselves in a way that we lay aside those weights that hold us back, that we might be able to run the race. And if you ever feel that things are coming in around you, if you ever feel like things are burdening you down, then it's time to look up at Christ. It's not time to look at a pastor or to put a pastor on a pedestal. It's not time to depend upon a pastor or somebody else in the church. It's time that we look to Christ. And no matter what goes on in this church, the point is Christ is there for us. Let our eyes be on him. This is my favorite line in this whole message. Always, 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 our focus must be on Jesus, our Savior. How much? How often? You bet. So, okay. We, we have to be set on the Messiah. But we also must focus on the mission. What is our mission? You see, if their focus was upon Jesus, as we've talked about, then their focus would also be upon the mission Jesus had given the church. What mission did Jesus give the church? I'll give you a hint. Mission is a part of a longer word called commission, commission, and what is the great commission? Go where? Into all the world and do what? Seek and save the lost and make disciples and baptize. And Is that enough for you to do? Do you need more to do than that? Are you doing those things okay? 
Do you need help doing those? Yes, 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 we need help. The mission is to preach the word of God. The mission is to get out of the way so God can work. The mission is to seek him so that the mission is right on. The mission is to preach the gospel. You see, the people in Corinth had to leave the personal vendettas aside. The people in Corinth had to get away from looking to Cephas or looking to Apollos or looking to Paul. They needed to focus on Jesus, the gospel, his death, his burial, his resurrection. They focus on the Messiah. They focus on the mission. One last thing. Gee, guess what this is? Look at the title of the message. One, what's the first part? One what? One Messiah. What's the second one? One mission. And the third one? One message. And the message that was to be focused on was not the latest and the greatest thing that came up. Now, sometimes as a church, we need to look at the latest and greatest to get across the true message. But never let the latest and the greatest be the true message. We are told to preach Christ crucified. Can you imagine what Paul must have felt like? Can you imagine as he would go around and he would preach Christ? He must have felt really stupid sometimes. And maybe he was convinced he was not and he was doing the right thing. But people probably looked at him and said, What's wrong with you, Paul? You were all right when you were Saul. You were all right when you punished those Christians. And now look at you. You're an idiot. Think he probably got told that a while? Sometimes, I think so. I think so, but he knew the message he had to preach. And he didn't mind being a fool by the world's standards to be able to preach Christ. Somebody has said, it's better to enter heaven a moron than to go to hell being considered wise by the world. Would you be a moron for Christ with me? Would that be all right? Yeah, you're smiling. Oh, yeah, right. Sure. See, that's part of the problem. Is are we sold out on Christ or are we sold out on the world? And probably most of us are not in either camp there. Most of us are somewhere in between here. The goal here is to be Christ-centered, to be sold out on Christ. So the question comes, are we going to transform our culture or is our culture going to transform us? Every day our culture says, be this way, do this thing. Every day. And every day God's word says, preach Christ. 
Every day, God's word says, put Christ on that throne. Put Christ on that pedestal. Every day. You know, the message of our age seems to be moral relativism. And what do I mean by that? The world says there is no absolute truth. The world says it is more sincere, I mean more important that we are sincere in our beliefs than it is that we believe the right thing. Have you heard that? It's how you believe. It's how sincere you are in what you believe. I don't care what you believe. Just be sincere about it. You want to worship the carpet? Worship the carpet sincerely. You can even kneel on the carpet. You can stand on the carpet. A lot of good that does. What is truth? Find what that truth, and I truly believe that God's word is that truth. The Bible says, study to show yourselves approved unto God, a workman that does not need to be ashamed. Let me close with a verse from chapter 2. We'll get to that eventually. Chapter 2, verse 2. For Paul writes, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. My friends, it is not a church. My friends, it is not a pastor. My friends, it's not the latest and greatest that's coming out. It's not what's hyped by anything or any place. It is Christ and Christ crucified. Do you buy into that? Because that's the all-important question. If you don't buy into that, then... You're going to be wishy-washy. You're going to just go back and forth. But you determine it's God's word, God's word. And if it is, then we need to stick with that. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you bring us to a point where we have to decide what's important, what is vital. This day, may we say, as for ourselves and our household, we will follow you. Each day we must say that you are the ultimate. That we will fix our sight upon you. That we will trust in you. Not people, not a person, not a church, but you. Let us, Lord, seek you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.